Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And we have a special guest today, but I will go around first, Chris Folon, my co-host brother from another mother. Yes, as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and all your favorite podcast mediums and share it with your fellow CISO security leaders and friends. Um, I am fellow co-host Chris Fallon, cybersecurity consultant, career coach, and um, just happy to be here. Happy to introduce Mr. James Azar. Wow, I get the introduction from Chris, Renee, from Chris. <laughs> today hey everyone. special today my friend it, uh, you know what uh chris and i have been doing a lot of bonding recently so uh we, we've we're 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 right there right now we're in that brotherhood zone right um, so so I, I got his back um but thank you very much chris for that lovely introduction i'm james says our chief information security officer cybersecurity practitioner enthusiast privacy advocate and a host of the Cyber Hub podcast, CISO Talk podcast, Other Side of Cyber, and Digital Debate. That's going to be the new Tech Town Square. We're rebranding and moving it to locals. Really, really cool. That is exciting. Happy to have you back, Mr. Azar. And our special guest. (laughs) That's right. We do the best. Our special guest today, Carlos Rodriguez. I'm so happy. We're all so happy that you're here today. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, thank you very much for, for having me. I'm the Director of IT Security and Risk at uh, Citizens Proper Insurance Corporation. I feel I'm, I don't have that bond yet, but I feel part of the family because I listen to James' podcast every morning. That's the way I start my day, you know, into the news. I communicate a lot with Chris uh, and with Renee as well. And, and I really want to thank you for what you do. It's a very noble mission of bringing people into cyber, uh, something that we all need to do. Well, well, thank thank you. you. Thank you for being here with us. We love having additional guest CISOs um, to bring your perspective. So I'm really, really excited about today. Um, Zoe M, she's here saying hi. We shout out some of our people. And she says, YouTube gang. Hey, <laughs> Zoe. And I don't know who this is, LinkedIn user. I'll find out who that That's is. Teresa. That's who? Teresa. Teresa. Hey, Teresa. Thank you for being here. Please let us know where you are from um, before we jump in and get started. I know we always try to just figure out where people are watching us from. Let us know about that. Uh, AMD says, great content. Fantastic. Thanks, AMD, for being here today. So... Chris, do you want to kick it off? Because we thought we've been talking about this topic for a while. Um, I know you were a huge proponent. I think when you and I met, we were talking about it was kind of like had to do with cyber vocabulary in this topic. So you want to you want to kick it off today? Yes. So um, the topic is cyber vocabulary. Uh, One of the main or one of the debateful topics that still happens in the news today is um, referring to both cyber researchers and cyber criminals as hackers. They are not one and the same. Like Carlos's hat says, hacker does not 
equal criminal. Um, and then the other thing is, along with that, um, words have meaning. So when we're using different technical jargon or different jargon, talking to users, talking to the business, um, they might not fully understand what we're trying to say. So we have to ensure that we're effectively communicating with the business and other peers if we want to be respected and understood as we highlight risk with them. And I know um, Carlos has done a lot in this space for educating others coming into the field as well as educating users. And uh, that was one of the topics that he mentioned that he was interested in um, while bringing him aboard. Yeah, so uh, we we all have that mission. And and I think uh, for for those of you coming into the, uh, into the uh, profession or trying to move ahead, uh, understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, your communication style and, and the meaning of the words is very important. So one of our um, commenters wanted to start the debate with cyber space security or cyber security, one word. It's one <laughs> word. Information security is two words. I'll just end it right there. <laughs> Data security is two words. Network security is two words. But cybersecurity is one word. It's kind of like them and then, right? Like, you know, then and then. With an E or an A, you got to know exactly when to do it. So cyber is one word, right? And then all other security acronyms are two. Information security, data security, network security, uh, cloud security. All of those are two words. Cyber is one. <laughs> it's like so there and there. <laughs> there it, it is. Let, 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 controversy debunked. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, uh, let, let's talk about like risk. Um, we have some people that from a technical aspect, they talk about risk one way, but from the, the business aspect, they understand risk another way. What, what, what are some of the, the things that you use when you describe risk to ensure that you and the business are on the same page? Right, so the first thing I, I would say, and that I always done everywhere I've been is understand the culture and vocabulary of the company I'm in. Because when I used to work in legal, for example, the meaning of risk is different for attorneys than it is for the insurance company, right? So uh, in terms of when I talk to the business, uh, they they are more interested in uh, exposure. That's one, especially where I am. And, and you know, investments into mitigation and then the loss, right? What does it mean? Uh, you know, if, if we say, there's a, a risk, a reputational risk, for example. That's one thing that uh, I posted in the other day. Well, what does that mean in terms of the uh, uh, money, the green stuff, and also what does it mean to the to the stakeholders? So understand that uh, for me, uh, risk here in my context, it, it involves you know that potential uh, of loss, uh, financial loss, uh, based on on probability, uh, exposure, vulnerability. I cannot talk to them in all those terms. I just go into the risk, if, if, and depending on the conversation, we may get into the details as well, but it's uh, around financial risk and reputational. Reputational for us is very, very important. And James? Carlos, when you were in, oh. I'm sorry, when you were in legal, were you also, it's, 
were you security the the security practitioner in a legal department? Right. So I used to work for two different uh, fairly medium to large law firms, uh, mm -hmm. national law firms, and uh, in one of them, not only I was uh, the head of the security team, but I also part I was part of the uh, privacy practice, and I will they will bring me in when there was a client with a data breach to uh, actually advise on mitigation and, you know, what you need to do right now and what you need to do later. So that was actually very fun, a lot of fun for me in my career. Awesome. And James, when Is you're James talking to, to different uh, C-suite leaders or different businesses, um, how do you change your approach if, you're, if you don't understand the, the culture of an external organization and to ensure that you're on the same page with them. So I'm, I'm gonna reverse your question a little bit, Chris, because I think Carlos nailed it. I don't have anything to add beyond what Carlos said, but I wanna kind of bring this to the breaking into cybersecurity and let's simplify it to the crowd looking to break into the industry, right? If you look at a system mind map, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, you can just go to your favorite search engine and look up the CISO mind map. Uh, there's one that's very recent um, from Rafiq that's really worth taking a look at. And one of the key components when we talk about cyber vocabulary is aligning your cyber vocabulary to the business's vocabulary itself. So take a look at your company's Wicca page. They typically always have like this terminology, this dictionary of all different kinds of acronyms that have different types of meaning. And you as a CISO have to look at how do you take those acronyms and get them involved in security so that when your team communicates across the business, not just you as a CISO, but even your uh, red teamer or your analyst in the SOC, when they're communicating risk, when they're communicating uh, potential uh, technology changes, upgrades, updates, um, uh, events, right, that they're able to communicate it in the same language that anyone in the business can understand it. The big difference between cyber effective cybersecurity culture to ineffective cybersecurity culture is language. The moment we start to talk when acronyms in security that no one understands or terms in security that no one understands is the moment we lose that battle of CISOs. And then when we go, our users don't listen to anything we have to say. Whenever I hear a CISO say that, I always say, have you looked in the mirror? Have you sat down and really given it a hard, long thought over why you're in that position? Because we bury uh, and, and kind of go into that position ourselves. And the point of a cyber vocabulary, the point of maybe, you know, the biggest one is like Carlos's hat. Um, Carlos, can you show everyone your hat? Just <laughs> hackers don't equal criminals is very, very important because so many times people say um, they'll use the term hacker to describe a criminal. And if you were to ask anyone in our industry what a hacker is, would say our red teamers, our purple teamers, our blue teamers, it's our security researchers. Um, we've got a ton of names for them, but they're all hackers to us. Next week in Vegas, there's going to be a lot of hackers, right? The good kind, the kinds that we want on our side, right? So, you know, hackers, just one aspect of it, but, but the biggest aspect of, of cyber vocabulary is aligning it to the business. And like Carlos said, if you're a CISO for a law firm, and you're getting called in to help break down the language between the cybersecurity guys. He's essentially a translator. Like that's what Carlos was. He was a translator in a room where 
you know, cybersecurity guy says X, lawyer says, well, what does that mean? And Carlos was right there in the middle kind of brokering that. Great position to be in. Um, you know, I bet you you learned a lot from it, but it just That's shows fun. you the break in security. Yeah. Uh, one more thing uh, I want to add is uh, consistency as well. Be consistent with that vocabulary and even with your presentation yeah. style, aligning with the company that, that will come a long way and help you. Carlos, can you put Tilsha hat down again now that I have you on the full <laughs> screen? <laughs> awesome. I'll do the podcast like this. <laughs> well, I, I know thank when it you, comes to, uh, to introducing, for example, new terms, um, I was working on a metrics program and one of the, the the ways of trying to identify a risk was in regards to uh, vulnerable days. And there was a, a 15 minute discussion by ev everyone there. What was the definition of a vulnerable day um, when it came to these metrics? And this was gonna be a board metric. So um, A, there would have to be some user education to the board so that they would understand the term vulnerable day but then from there on out, they had to be consistent with that meaning so that every time they do brief the board, there is that consistency, that same meaning to that word every time they use it after that. And the board, by the way, must, must board, in my opinion, in my experience, must really strong security leaders, CISOs, um, when they speak to the board, they use a lot of stories. The storytelling is not necessarily matrix. Boards are different, obviously, but uh, being a good story uh, storyteller, also and using analogies is going to help you. Just not, you know, be a robot talking about these uh, technical stuff. So, yeah, um, I, w I definitely want to shout some. Want to make some. Uh add some of the comments that we have here. Um, a ton of people from a lot of different places, but the first one I want to add is Teresa. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, either Teresa or Teresa. And she says, I'm currently building a glossary for a company I'm consulting for. Definitely words matter and getting everyone to use the same language is important. It reduces confusion and helps their clients understand their value proposition. So very, very important um here and then let's go back up and shout some people out who have been making comments here md says he's from the u.s air force um brooklyn 29 from my hometown hello everyone glad to be here from brooklyn living in northern virginia me too who is that <laughs> <laughs> md's from lifewood south carolina we have ashley here from el paso uh, Tyrone says, what's up, great peeps? What's up, Tyrone? So we had the debate. Uh, this is um, the same person saying she likes both of them. Will says, now if we can just get cybersecurity into all the spelling checks. That's pretty funny. All spelling checks are adaptive uh, machine learning. Just accept it once and they'll <laughs> never pick it up again. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew's here from Memphis. Um, Peter Klein said we made a good point earlier. Pierre says happy Thursday, my great people. Happy Thursday, Pierre. We are always oh. excited to be here on CISO Thursdays. Or Matthew happy says, Friday Eve. Or happy Friday, Friday Eve. Eve. 
Someone sent me that this morning to go happy Friday Eve. <laughs> Matthew saying hello and sending a thank you for the presentation. And Eli's from Prospect Park. What? That's where I grew up. And um, England. Somebody calling from England. That's here, Jason. Right? Yeah, Jason's from England. Jason. Hey, Jason. So excited to have so many people call, you know, checking in from all these different areas. Um, we love you being here. So make sure to continue to share your comments. So, so, so James, one of the, the big vulnerabilities coming out this week is a um, SAM vulnerability from Microsoft. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Which Microsoft vulnerability do you want to talk about this week? All right, well, we've got not, not vulnerability. We've got Windows 10, week. Windows 11. Um, should I keep going? Um, I would like to say that Oracle had 342 patches, security patches yesterday. 342. Let me repeat that. 342. I can say it one more time just for the sake of, like, if you run an Oracle system today, you must be looking at Oracle and just cussing them up and down the chain. I mean, no HR person wants to be around the people that are doing patch management on Oracle systems. No one. 342, you know. Um, so if you want to talk about the uh, Windows vulnerability, the Microsoft <laughs> vulnerability? <laughs> I can talk to you about a bunch of different vulnerabilities, but let's get into kind of this acceptance that we've that companies have now from a risk appetite perspective of just launching software and uh, technology without properly testing it and then yeah. just betting on you that you can patch it. That's what's so scary. Right. I mean, like we like that's the next frontier. Here's our next battle of CISOs. We want to change that. Right? Because patching is hard. Mm -hmm. And not every patch is as simple as updating your iPhone to 14.7, where you just hit update overnight, you go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, your phone's updated, it's patched, or resetting your computer, right? Where you reset it, you turn it on, turn it off, does all the updates and move on. Updating uh, ERP systems, updating corporate system, updating servers, that, that's not a walk in the park for anyone. Um, and I think this is the next big challenge that a lot of us are afraid to talk about it because we're all guilty of it. Because we're all in organizations that develop software. We all know that time to market is critical. We all know that we're missing that, that battle. But yet... When I see what's been going on, like Adobe had, I think, like 70 some odd security patches on Tuesday, Oracle 340, um, Microsoft last week had over 90. You start to wonder what's happening here and how can we even get this within an acceptable patching timeline to patch these systems because it's, it's really complex. And, and that goes into our cyber vocabulary when people think of patching and most people think it's updating a system, but it's not systems are integrated and, you know, people get really creative and you could have had a team of developers that thought one way and, and, and architected your system and your infrastructure in a, in, in a way where you can't easily patch anything because they weren't thinking about patching when they, when they did it. And so uh, Carlos, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, a couple of different things came to my mind. One, 
I wonder, and I'd like to hear your opinion. I was talking to uh, a peer this week, actually, and yeah, you know, I wonder if uh, part of it. I'm, I'm not saying all of it, but but if COVID uh, has had an impact in terms of you know the economy suffered for a little while, there were furloughs, layoff, and people accumulated. There were companies that accumulated uh, technical debt in general and probably security debt um in this case this peer was telling me yeah we we that happened to us because we started doing regular maintenance because we didn't have the people so that's one thing that came to mind i'd like to hear your opinion but the other one is i was one in a situation in a company when i first started during the uh well i started within a month there was a patch cycle they didn't patch servers regularly but there was a, a patch cycle within that month and the entire company went down and i'm i'm two weeks in the uh director of application security uh, no the director of application development is two weeks in and we're just watching this situation this crisis unfold and from the sidelines and letting people do their work and you know at the end of the you know we got back up it, it took us about three days by the way we were done for about three days, uh, partially. And so when we did the retrospective, which nobody thought about doing, I, I pushed for it. So, well, let's talk about this. And, and, and it came down to any, this is my experience, it usually can, comes down to this. There are bad patches, obviously, but it usually, a, a, when a patch cycle breaks something, it's a process issue. Is your validation? Is your testing? So, uh, and that's what I communicated to the team. So, not only that happened, but it went like six months without patching, and you know, negotiations going back and forth during that time. So, we, we, you know, one of the things that we do is compromise and negotiate. So, we came down to very quickly, okay, let's patch these hundred and some very critical systems in a monthly basis, and start learning. Do a, a retro right after the patch cycle. Short story, within those six months, at the end of the six months, we were, we were starting to hit over 80% of the environment. And then thereafter, it was like over 95, 98%, and then the rest got remediated very quickly. So helping people understand that as well, you know, with that patching, the word patching means, okay, you have to keep your, your, your systems updated, but there is a lot that goes to it, especially in the terms of in terms of process and, and testing and validation. I, I think that will help you a lot. Yeah, uh, Rene, if you could pull up that that comment from Eli um, Reyes, um, he speaks a really good point when you think about how you prioritize your systems when you're doing uh, vulnerability management and patching. Um, if you understand which of your assets are critical and you have threat intelligence that speaks to an uh, exploit that is being uh, a vulnerability that is being exploited, you can work to expedite patching those systems first because they have um, that higher risk factor that you have known vulnerabilities that are being exploited. Um, and whether those exploits are in um, toolkits and malware strains, um, that becomes another factor for expediting such um, vulnerability management approaches. Um, but yeah, it's definitely helpful to start integrating that threat landscape into your, your remediation approach. 
I'm thinking about, well, let me read his comment. Let me read Eli's comment so people who are listening and not watching understand um, what he's saying. He's uh, Eli says, I think it's also uh, it also speaks to how proactive providers like Microsoft have become and how they become more proactive in threat intelligence and remediation. Their threat modeling is top tier despite how much flack they get. And in parentheses, I'm an Apple fan. So giving Microsoft kudos in any landscape is rare. So. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I, if you want to look at patching your systems and vulnerability management and patch management, you've always got to look at it from, from a different perspective, which is the classification of your critical, um, of your critical, you know, operation softwares that, that are in your business, right? So a lot of people talk about data classification. But you have to classify everything from data to users to identity access to systems. Everything's in a, in a, in a, in a class of its own. And your patch management almost, almost goes down the same route. So what's the patch that's out? How important is it for the business? Whenever I do the, uh, the practitioner brief and I read the CVSS score, I like to always sometimes remind people that just because it's a 9.1 for the manufacturer doesn't make it a 9.1 for you. For you, it could be a 2.2 because right. you're really you're, you're using the software, but very little of your data is going through the software. Very little of your business hinges on it. It's a supporting uh, uh, software and not really a, a main one. And so you don't have to rush to patch it quite yet. You can put some workarounds until you get it done. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things where as people are looking to break into security, as people are trying to start their career in security and kind of identify where they want to go. We often hear the term, oh, I want to be a red teamer and I'm doing all these different great things. That's wonderful. But where are you when it comes to um, patching and vulnerability? Uh, Chris had to drop. <laughs> uh, where are you when it comes to patching and vulnerability management? Because we need people like that who can manage those projects, who can align, who have um, – the depth of expertise, but also the the uh, where like the the presence of mind to understand what's important and what's not. Right, and I, you know, James, that's a good segue into two two points or questions that I wanted to bring up. One was when Alan Alford, when you were was on a couple of weeks ago, and you all talked about this very, you know, you talked about when you just brought up recently how, you know, everyone wants to go to market really quickly. He brought up DevSecOps and that, you know, is another avenue for folks in secure that want to transition into security, um, which is one thing. And then just how this, even, even patching, I remember coming into security from HR and not even understanding what patching meant. <laughs> so understanding the vocabulary, I just think that this is so important for people who are brand spanking new or may not know, you know, all they see is red team, blue team, like they don't even know what some of these, um, some of the vocabulary is. So I just think this is a really good conversation. Um, and then I want to hop into some comments before we jump on. Hernan, Hernan is his name pronounced Hernan? Hernan, yeah. I'm so proud of my bro Carlos, who is my friend from childhood. Keep doing what you love to do. Bravo. So kudos to you. And then that also, is an awesome friend, right? Isn't there. that an awesome friend? Yeah. Kudos. That gave me a little bit of goosebumps. I know. I love that. And me then he too. also says, um, technical language is also always 
another language that only IT is used to speaking. Very important to communicate the meanings of some important security projects and the real value that bring that brings financially. So that's such a good point um, to be made about that language, what you both talked about earlier, meaning the language having understood, the business understands it's not just tech jargon, stuff flying over people's heads and nobody understands what's going on. Um, so a <laughs> couple more good comments coming through here. So, um, hey, Barbara, we're going to shout some more people out. Will McCullen said earlier when we talked about all of the, the different um, releases, it sounds like someone's toolbox got released, like the whole entire thing, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds and uh, dozens of them. Jonathan is from Raleigh, uh, where North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. Zimbabwe is here. Yeah, Victor. Africa's in the house. Africa, Zimbabwe, that's so awesome. Our friend Patrick is back. He said, is there a hey, vulnerability, vulnerability management framework? There is. I mean, if you look at MITRE, MITRE has some stuff around vulnerability management. And um, there isn't a, per se a vulnerability management framework that's uh, uh, accepted um, because I don't think you can create a vulnerability management framework that fits everyone. It kind of goes into, and Carlos, what do you think, right? How, how do you manage vulnerabilities without giving away the keys to the house, right? But, you know, I'll, I can say from like a, like a 40,000 foot level, I classify my different systems that we use. And then we go down that list. How do you do it? Yeah, that's near my heart. Um, actually, uh, another one, good one to look up is, uh, I believe, SANS has one that developed uh, by um, uh, Frank King. He, he did a good job on that one and uh, it's probably available uh, in their website. But yeah, so the reason it's near to my heart is because I usually have had issues getting approval to deliver that program. And a lot of it is because of the language. And the vocabulary, for example, you know, when you build a program and a policy, there, there, especially on a from a policy point of view, there has to be consequences, right, of not following. So when you get into that, then you get into a controversial place where, okay, why is that going to lead to termination? For example, is that the language? So be careful with that. Now, from a framework point of view, you you have to go at this together with IT because well and it depends on the organization too of course many environments have an it team and a security team and the role of the security team is set direction and guardrails the it folks are usually the people that are patching right so when you're going to set up uh thresholds uh for acceptable uh timelines and risk you really need to get their input and, and their buying, otherwise you're going to fail. And and I learned that lesson uh, in a couple of places. Uh, that's why it took so long to uh, get those approved. But uh, now I just, I may draft it, I may start communicating, but uh, I get the feedback in and then we go at it together. And it all comes down, I think James mentioned earlier, to the risk uh, tolerance of the company. What is acceptable? for the company in terms of you know the exposure that you have well these systems here they need a higher level of uh, attention and action this here 
Well, we can deal with those later. Um, you know, be, like James said, because something came out today that is zero day, well, you may not have it or it may not mean much to you. So enabling IT to understand that, to have that message is is uh, key. The first question I asked, uh, we have a, a team that we we call the Tiger team, deals with vulnerability management. They meet every week and they deliver patching and all that is when I see something like, you know, print nightmare or Sam vulnerabilities, uh, first question, guys, I put it on the chat that we have, does this impact us? Are we exposed to this? And then that drives the conversation forward and we make plans around it. So go at it together with IT, don't go by yourself and the business. And so, quick question about this because some i know in some depending on the organization security is in it is this in, in an organization where security might be a part of risk or a part of another division and saying you know go at it with it because you would think that in the organizations where security is a part of a division you know a subset of it that it would automatically be together or am i just no, I think I think when you look at it, uh, the effective CISO, and I like to say the effective CISO, um, has his number one relationship builder when he's in his role is with IT. And you're essentially building IT security champions. Um, so people that are within the IT that kind of look at their IT career and go, I want to move three steps forward. So you identify those people and you essentially create the, the type of relationship with them where they become your advocates. And then mm -hmm. they're sitting on these teams like the, your vulnerability management committee that Carlos just brought up. Typically, you know, any vulnerability management team in order for it to be effective in what it does has a representative from security and IT and DevOps and architecture and engineering and finance and operations, right? And marketing typically uh, and sales and customer success. Uh, because guess what? If I got to patch a system and in order to patch the system, we're going to be down for 36 hours. I need customer success in there that's going to notify every single customer that we're providing that service to that come Friday at midnight until noon on Sunday, uh, systems are going to be down and they're not going to be operational because we're patching. If it takes you 36 hours to do it, most of the time you're able to do stuff in a way where the downtime is three, four hours and it's from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. on a Sunday night or a Saturday night, right, where you've got literally very little usage so you're not impacting the company's bottom line. But if anyone still thinks that vulnerability management is just security or IT, I think they live in a, in a la la land. Right. Because right? Carlos, I mean, to me, customer success being at the vulnerability management discussion is just as important as DevOps. Just as important. Let me uh, shout some more people out and make some comments that are coming in. So uh, Natasha... She's from the Virgin Islands, now living in San Diego. Hello. Love San Natasha. Diego so much. <laughs> Pierre's from so Temple, Texas. I know. That's just like sunshine central, San Diego. Temple, yeah, Texas. San Diego like, has a different energy. It has a different energy it, as a city. It totally does. Alberto wanted to know, will this video be able to watch later? Yes. So it's automatically, it's on YouTube now, it's on LinkedIn now, it will be on both feeds and then in the other podcasts um, that we have. So definitely out here for everyone to see later. 
uh, more comments came that came in. So Aaron said, my experience is patching of critical systems is either not mapped out and therefore those critical systems are not patched immediately or they cannot be patched due to the system cannot be brought down. I think the cloud brings new challenges. And so I think the other question is how do these companies get better and not having flaws in their code? To me, this mentality change in the industry would be a game changer. So um, <laughs> I, 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 Aaron, Aaron is absolutely right. I think the mentality change that he's talking about is five to 10 years away. Um, and that's simply because of the more we do digital transformation, the more we go cloud, the more we'll see that being addressed. Um, because what, what the difference between what we did before to what we're doing now from a digital transformation perspective and the cloud brings through is the idea of SaaS. And so SaaS updates become much easier to deploy because most SaaS companies, typically responsible ones, good ones, have two different environments. They've got their test environment and they've got their live environment and they mimic those. And so what they'll do is as they're patching something, they'll patch it in the test environment, make sure it operates, make sure everything runs well. Then they turn the test environment on, take on their, take down their live environment, send out the patch for everyone to get done. And sometimes it's automated in some of those SaaS, the good SaaS providers, they even automate the patch management for you so you don't even have to worry about it. Um, and, and so it goes. So I think we, we still have about a decade to get that right. Because the more we build on the cloud, the more we have uh, SaaS, uh, SaaS for those who don't know, software as a service or uh, uh, IaaS, infrastructure as a service or PaaS, <laughs> platforms as a service, right? Uh, how, do, how else would you say it? <laughs> how would you say infrastructure as a service without making it seem like IaaS? <laughs> Clinton Walker says... Hello, Renee Small and company. Good to see you guys. <laughs> hey, Clinton. <laughs> Teresa says we should have a central hub for all uh, vocabulary we use in cybersecurity. Where will we house it for the new people? That's, that's a good thought. I mean, um, I'll, I'll volunteer my on website. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. The Cyber Hub website. Someone, some, um, who's the person that's in the process of doing that right now? He's doing it for um, military. Paul Cummings. Paul Cummings. He's working on that. So, Teresa, you want, might want yeah, to but, connect with Paul. But Paul is taking military acronyms and converting them to business. To business, He's right. He's talking about taking just cyber acronyms. Right. Um, converting. I know Paul would love, Paul would take anything on. Paul's just a superstar. I know. He's a hero he, in my book. I wonder if ISACA or I or IC Square, one you know, one of those organizations have something. I'm gonna look that up. I think Myler should do it. Mm -hmm. Since they've already got the CVE database, this can be right next yeah. to the CVE database. Yeah, true, very true. Namdi says some issues arise not only from the product itself, but from supply chain vulnerabilities that invoke the need for patches. That's what you all were talking about a couple of weeks ago, right, James? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it right now, too. We yeah. talked about the idea of, of SaaS providers and infrastructure providers. They're part of your supply chain. When you think of how Microsoft was breached uh, in, in December, that was through SolarWinds. That was through their supply chain. Same thing with FireEye. Same thing with yeah. the government. Um, you know, that's, that's your supply chain. You know, the big question for anyone who's in the CISO, wearing the CISO hat, right, is... How much information do I need to know 
from my supply chain vendor? How much information can I get from them? Which is a whole other thing, right? How do I quantify the risk from my supply chain vendor? And then how do I enable the business to continue to do business with that supply chain vendor without being the department of no and therefore building detractors? And those are very uh, challenging questions to answer for any practitioner. Right. So Jason says, I think passion, um, um, I think patching should also take into consideration how easy it is for an attacker to exploit the vulnerability. If there's extensive defense in depth, patching is important, but not necessarily urgent. How do you know that Jason is British? Because he said so. No. Defense. Instead of an S in defense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got that too. <laughs> David says, still a disconnect in a number of organizations. The bridge between IT and security is crucial. Paul Cummings, our friend here, completely agree on CSM being at a stakeholder meetings, and he is in Jacksonville, Florida. Another Floridian, right? <laughs> Clinton Walker, great point, Renee Small, in my experience, when security is part of IT, sometimes it can cause some conflict. If it sits outside of IT, the independence and ability to hold a business to account accountable, hold the business accountable comes into play better. James Azar, great points. IT and the business make good advocates and hence the close alignment is important. Yes, yes, and yes, Clinton. Uh, Tyrone says, I've been moved from the SOC duties to vulnerability management team and it, it has been an eye opener for me in terms of understanding the agency security approach, posture, risk, and the processes involved. A lot of information to digest, but I stand willing to accept the challenge. Congratulations, Tyrone, for being moved from SOC to vulnerability management. One, uh, since we've been doing this, we've, we've kind of, you've been so open about sharing everything you're, you're kind of seeing. And so I'm really proud to see that. And that's your hard work right there being translated. And the entire community stands here to help you, Tyrone. So reach out to me. I'm going to volunteer Carlos and say you could probably reach out to Carlos. Since we're both fans of Italia and Forza Italia, they won the Euro a few weeks ago. What a game that was. They beat the Brits. How about that? Where's Jason? Um, <laughs> how about that? Uh, there was nothing more satisfying than watching that game and watching Harry Kane just fall to the floor and just go, ah, we lost. Um, Forza Italia for real. Excited, excited for Tyrone. He's been doing some awesome work. Joseph says, yes, hello, hello, everyone. Always a pleasure to join Cecil Thursdays. It is always a pleasure to have you. Clinton says, hey, hey, again. And Paul says, with vendor selection and CMMC being reality, how many supply chains are about to lose existing contracts? How many of the lost contracts are going to be given to the lowest bidder not ever working on the technology solutions in place and how match mitigation is going to be done? So CMMC isn't going to get into full deployment until 2025. CMMC, right. for those who don't know, um, is kind of DOD's way of setting uh, supply chain vendors' compliance levels, right? So if you're an HR company, really, you're, you're level one of CMMC. And so you just go and you buy Microsoft's GovE1 product and you're pretty much and, and just configure it with any MSP and you're compliant. That's really what it is. Um, I'm getting the CMMC auditor certification. I'm studying for it right now, going through the background check, and I should be CMMC certified auditor within the next several months. And I can tell you that CMMC and 
and its thought process is very effective and its execution very ineffective, but that's just government, right? Like take away government, take CMMC, put it in the private sector, put 25 of the brightest CISOs on it with, uh, with some industry. And we've got an unbelievable framework for supply chain management uh, because it really is that. Um, it can really uh, derive how you start to bid your supply chain. Um, I think the highest level of CMMC, when you think of like level five, is only like maybe a handful, a little more than a handful of companies that have to comply with that one. Um, most, I think 80% of, of, of the DOD environment is either level one or two. So, you know, it's, and, and those levels are fairly efficient and, you know, Someone gave a compliment earlier to Microsoft, and I and and I, I'm pretty sure that was. Um, let me look at here. Um, who was that? Oh man, someone gave a compliment to uh, Microsoft. I think it was Eli. A minute ago, back it was Microsoft a little it bit was ago. Eli, yeah, yeah. So Eli is actually right because the one thing that um, Microsoft did really really well is they saw CMMC and then they built all their products at different levels. So that you can just buy the license, configure it, and that's it. Game over. You're done. You're really compliant. And then all you've got to do is just address the human factor of it, right? And I, I, I think with what Paul is saying here with CMMC, um, I don't think anyone's going to lose contracts. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, it's going to enhance small businesses and investment. And guess what? They're just going to upcharge the government for it. So it's our taxpayer dollars that are going to pay for their security to begin with. So, you know, all in all, I don't think people are really going to lose um, business over it. I think people are going to end up, um, we're going to end up seeing a more um, robust environment within DOD. And, and you know, I know that, Renee, you're in, you're in Northern Virginia and you're in the DOD ecosystem. So, what you will see is more CMMC auditors. You'll see more conversations around it. And we'll see it change. By the time it deploys, it'll change three more times. Mark my words. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a new word here uh, around this. Uh, we've done analysis. We have a decent, uh, fairly decent and strong uh, third-party risk management that is run by our vendor management office. We are a local, uh, or not local, we're a state government. So we're not impacted by CMMC, but we got to watch those things. So last year, I added that to our list of compliance network uh, that we run in our compliance champions network. We have a list of things to watch and things that we have to comply with. Uh, But I wanted to say also to complement what James was saying, there's also exceptions. You have risk, you have exceptions. And an exception is nothing more than a deviation of complying with something on your policy or your requirements. So and most people in IT really don't like exceptions because then that makes them accountable for something. But I tell them, listen, I know that certain things are not achievable and there has to be a level of, of, of risk management here. I'd rather know there is an exception than not knowing that it, it exists. So we can monitor it and build plans to comply with it. It doesn't have to be right now today. It has to go to the risk tolerance and risk appetite and all that. But 
I agree with James in that, you know, there are these mechanisms like exceptions, risk, risk acceptance, fines, whatever it might be that I don't see anyone losing contracts, but uh, they're going to be accountable for, for something, you know, so. So Eli said, well, Tyrone, thanks. He said, thank you to James and Eli, um, Carlos, when you were saying robust, Eli said robust is the right word. Uh, Paul Cummings, I'm looking at small businesses who can't afford an IT staff and let uh, an MSSP in a timeline to continue business as intended. So um, small businesses. Um, I think we'll take that offline, Paul. Let, let's make that a discussion offline, buddy. Happy to answer yeah. that question, though. So Joseph says, recently had the chance to look into IT strategies and policies, and a lot of the time, many security guys may not clearly identify the port importance of aligning security strategies with, biz strategies with business objectives. For instance, patching for most stakeholders are understood as a, quote, necessary evil rather than a business process enabler or continuity factor, and thus forget to consider the need to put in patch management and patch security as part of their entire policy framework. Oh, that's a big, uh, that's very important is to do that alignment. Our security strategy, we have a chart that walks our our objectives, security objectives, and our strategy are all the way far on the right. And then you walk back or, you know, back to the left. You have in the middle the division that I belong to, objectives. And then the very first column is the business objectives. And so what that does is, number one, helps a business understand how we're supporting them, but also it tells my team how we fit into the big picture. And it's a very effective tool for us to communicate and gain support. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, go ahead, Renee. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead, James. Uh, all I wanted to all I wanted to add to what Joseph said is there's a level of maturity within organizations, and that level of maturity very much uh, is is different because of the culture within organizations. And what we're talking about culture is more the more more the idea of the culture of um, really um, continuity between departments, and I think that's that's really critical to understand. And, you know, as you're looking to break into security and as you're looking to take on a role, you know, as you're interviewing, that's a great interviewing question. Talk to me about cross-departmental functions yeah. and what's that like in your company or what's your personal experience with, you know, having to work with IT or business continuity. I think that's such, you know, I've had several people who have interviewed over, over, over the years who've asked me that question. And those are the people who I typically end up hiring. Carlos, because when we get asked that question, I don't know about you, but I look at that person and I go, all right, this guy understands um, beyond just technical knowledge. He understands the soft skills and he's asking the right questions because most of us, we don't want to take a job and fail. We want to take a job and succeed and excel. And so there are things that are beyond our control. And Carlos was so eloquently said this a moment ago, um, but he said security identifies the vulnerability and rates it. And, and identifies the risk, and then IT's got to go in and patch it. And we can't ignore the fact that you can't do one without the other. And you got to have the soft skills to be able to go to IT 
and not pull rank or not pull, you know, the chicken little sky is falling. You know, when we used to go to the office um, in our vulnerability management team, um, we had a um, we had a picture of chicken little, the sky is falling that we got. And we said, don't be chicken little. So when you get out this door, don't be chicken little. Don't be the guy is falling. The sky is falling guy. Be the how can we enable business? How can we work together? How can I get you to understand what I'm trying to do so that you can support my job and I can support yours without pulling rank, without wasting, you know, managers' roles and jobs and time? And how can we go about it in a way where we're all on the same team? And that's that's continuity across departments. And it's just having a true partnership. Um, and James, you actually took but it takes time to build it. It takes time to build it. And I don't think people understand that, right? I mean, I was on a call this morning with a few CISOs and that was one of the things we talked about. Like, what are some of the intangible things that I can delegate? And what are some of the intangible things I can't give to anyone? And you know what I can't give to anyone? My meeting with the CFO. No one else can do that but me. Right. Right? Because that relationship is done at that level. Sock management I can give it to my sock manager and have him manage it. And as long as he does a good job and as long as he's reporting and doing everything correctly, I don't have an issue. I don't need to micromanage that part of the business. I need to be aware of it, but I don't need to be directly involved. Right. And, and th- those are, you know, different things you have to look at is where is your time most needed as a CISO? Digital yeah. transformation or moving to the cloud? That's where I'm building relationships. Right. So what are we doing? Are we are on AWS. We're on Azure, Google Cloud. We're doing a private cloud, a hybrid cloud. We're leaving some. What are we leaving on prem and why? Like those are all things that that no one else can do because the CISO is at the end of the day, when when we take the job, when we sign the piece of paper, when we buy our insurance, which is very important. People don't understand this, but I was talking to people and I was like, you know, as a CISO, I've got like liability insurance, like personal liability insurance that I pay for. So in case anything ever happens and someone tries to sue, sue me, I've got insurance, right? Keep that in mind when you take the brass top job, that's something you're going to have to ex- ex- have some exponential uh, for and, and pay on the side, right? I feel but like- you got to look at that and you go, well, I'm strapped. And, and that strategy is critical because those are specific things where I can identify and understand from the team that I can take into and put into my security, uh, a strategy aspect, and then carry it over. Really, no, I'm sorry I, I cut you off. No, no, no. I, you know, you know, I love hearing you speak. <laughs> so what I was thinking about, though, when you were talking is like, you know, People breaking into security, sometimes they look up and they see the CISO and that's the that's the end. That's the goal. And I think one of our next topics should be kind of this exactly what you're talking about. Taking out, you know, insurance on for yourself, being in that top brass role and what that really means. Um, So cool stuff. Terrence. Clinton says, great session as always, guys. David said, very interesting show, guys. Have to go see you later. So we have a minute left to the top of the hour. Carlos, any final words of wisdom you want to give to these folks who are breaking in and moving around from a CISO perspective? Well, I just going to build on what James uh, closed with, and that is, building trusted partnerships that's your role more than protecting you know anything because you will need support um 
you know, so it's so big for us. We we have a we just launched an award and recognition award uh, program, and uh, we have a quarterly award. And I have two quarterly awards for my team. One of them is the ultimate partnership, and part of the criteria is did you build a new partnership this this quarter? That is how big it is. Um, read the five function of the team of a team. It talks about your core team, who your core team is for a director, for a CISO, for an engineer. You know, it will be the people you need to spend the most time with to gain that trust and partnership. So collaborate, build relationships. Yep. Collaboration, building relationships, so, so, so key. James, anything you want to say before we wrap? I am grateful that you do this every Thursday. Renee, I am. And you bring awesome people like Carlos on who, you know, are just unbelievable. And and so uh, thank you, Renee. Thank you and Chris for everything you guys do. Really. Thank I'm, you. I'm thank you. Very, thank you very much. Yes. And thank you. And I would, I, I don't want to take the credit. Chris is the one who really jumped in and made sure that Carlos was here today. So Chris, you're not here, but as you know, we love you. And thank you both for being here today. This is always awesome. I learned something new, even though we're doing to help breaking into cyber, I learned something new every single week too. So um, comments coming in. Zoe says, I'm grateful too. I learned so much. I feel like every time I speak to listen, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm learning. It's awesome. So folks, 1 p.m. Eastern next Thursday, every week, be here or be square. See you guys next week. Bye everybody. Thank you guys.